visiting with us this morning. We uh, give you a hearty welcome once again, and we're glad that you chose to uh, come and to learn about Jesus with us. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25, and we praise God for our uh, choir and praise team as they continue to worship the one true living God and uh, persevere, and we continue to remember our uh, director of music sister, uh, Debbie Conley, in our prayers as she recovers from uh, her medical issues. What you hold in your hand is not a self-help book. It is the very word of God. It is sufficient, inerrant, majestic, marvelous, and able to lead us into all godliness and righteousness. The word of God reads... Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for this privilege to stand before you this morning. And we pray, Father God, that you would uh, speak to our hearts in order that we would treasure you more. Help us to believe and to look to your Son, Jesus, by faith. We pray, Father God, that you would shake up our religion, shake up our habitual styles of living and worship, and draw us near to your heart and break us out of anything that's worthless. Father, we thank you for this time of season that we get to celebrate Jesus being born. And not only just Jesus being born, but Jesus being born, and as he was born, he was still Lord at his birth. What a great truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Of course, Christmas is uh, many people... people's and most of ours favorite time of year, but it's also a time that uh, we can easily be distracted and disengaged from the mission that God has called us to. When we think about this Christmas season, for many of us, we don't give as much thought about Jesus and his birth as we do about what we're going to receive or are not going to receive, and what we're going to give or are unable to give. Satan is so savvy, and he knows exactly how to divert our attention from the true meaning of this season. As Westerners here in the United States of America Satan knows exactly the button to push, and he knew from the beginning exactly the button to push to get even Christians away from the true meaning of Christmas. As a very consumeristic nation, he knew that in order to distract us from what what matters most, all he had to do was create a, a, a fake holiday and celebration. And all he had to do is control marketers and and get them to see how they could take advantage of this time of year. And he knew, he and his kingdom and his empire knew that he could easily suffocate 
the witness and miraculous birth of Jesus by getting us to focus on, on us. And it's very, very easy for us to fall into Satan's trap. Christmas should be one of the times of the year where the church thrives in her worship as well as in her mission. This time of year should be a a time of year when revitalization happens amongst God's people. This should be a time of the year when we are led deeper into worship and deeper into our mission. This should be a time of year like none other, maybe maybe only compared to Easter, where the church should be full of, of newcomers because we as Christians have spent time thinking deeply about the birth of Jesus. And it just overflows in our daily conversation to others. When we think deeply about what God has done for us through Christ's birth, it should lead us to deeper worship. It should lead us to our mission. As we look at Matthew chapter 1 this morning, I'm praying that the Lord would would give us the grace to, to look at these truths that we're very familiar at, but to go deep into them and to think critically about them and to meditate on it so that we will leave this place worshiping Jesus with a revived heart that our worship will spill over to our homes. And and this week, as we get ready to to celebrate Christmas and and to get the kids around a Christmas tree, that that we will not be most excited about their response to the gifts that we have given, but that they and that we will be most glad about what God has given us in his son, Jesus Christ. My prayer is that as we look at this text that it will move us to a time of family devotion, that it will move us to a time of retelling this great story to our children, that it would move us to a time of shedding tears as we reflect on how much God loved us, that he gave his only begotten son to wretched people like us so that we could have eternal life, that it would move us to sing his praises, that it would move us to want to read his word, that it will move us to want to share this gospel of Jesus Christ to our lost neighbors and co-workers. Deep theology should lead to deep deep doxology. Deep theology should lead to deep worship. And in Matthew chapter 1, a story that can easily be trivialized, we want to remind ourselves of these deep truths for the sake of the Lord. As we look at the book of Matthew, we want to understand that Matthew, the book, is all about Jesus. Jesus is the star of the Bible. He is the hero of the Bible, and he is the center of this book. Matthew, from the very beginning, wants to show his audience that Jesus is the sovereign king of the universe. And that's how he opens up this book in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So from the get-go, he wants us to see that this book is going to be about Jesus and that this Jesus that he's talking about has a a lineage, a, a history. Now, it's easy to read this Advent story and to make this story about everybody but Jesus. It's easy to read this passage that we're going to look at today. and We we look at Mary and how God used her, Joseph, and how God used him. It's easy for us to walk away and say, wow, I want to be like Mary and I want to be like Joseph. And it would be easy for me to preach a very moralistic sermon that says, now, you see what Mary and Joseph did, how they were obedient and open, and that's how we must be. But that's not, what, that's not what's going to lead us to worship. That's not what's going to lead us out of here uh, into a place of deep appreciation of Christmas. What's going to lead us to true worship is us realizing, as Matthew wants us to, that Jesus is the king of the universe. So he starts off. 
And he gives a genealogy of Jesus Christ, and he shows this genealogy to show how Jesus is the promised Messiah and how he is the one who was promised that would come from the, from the lineage of David and Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, we know that God gives Abraham a promise. In chapter 12, verse 1 through 12, that Abraham's seed will be blessed and that he will be the father of many nations. Matthew is pointing us and reminding us that this is about to be fulfilled and how it's going to be fulfilled in Christ. But we also see in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, that he says the son of David. It's important for us during this time of year to reflect and to remember that the promised Messiah, Jesus, was going to come through the lineage of David. All throughout the Old Testament scripture, we see this promise. But perhaps we none more poetically than in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of the hosts will do this. So we see some 700 years before that a prophecy goes out that a Messiah will come and he will be the Prince of Peace. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. He will be called the Mighty God and the Everlasting Father. And we see that Matthew is connecting us back to Isaiah by reminding us that Jesus is no ordinary man. But we also see this promise fulfilled in the book of Jeremiah. Turn your Bibles to Jeremiah. Next book over, Jeremiah, chapter 23, verse 5 through 6. Jesus, the son of David, Word of God reads, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called the Lord is our righteousness. And that prophecy as well is fulfilled in Jesus. Matthew wants us to see that Jesus is the one whom we have been waiting for, the one who the Jews have been waiting for as he writes to this audience. But then we pick up in verse number 18 as we see this Advent story. And let's get into it. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with, the, with child from the Holy Spirit. So he opens up and he tells us about the birth of Jesus Christ. Jesus' name simply means Yahweh saved. Christ is not Jesus' last name, but rather it is a title. It means the anointed one, the Messiah. So he is saying that Jesus Christ's birth took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. What does it mean to be betrothed? To be betrothed is similar to what we would call engagement. Mary and Joseph was engaged. But this wasn't just an ordinary engagement. A betrothal was a legal agreement, and it basically meant that these two, in the eyes of God, in the eyes of other people, were already married, except it hadn't come into full tuition. A betrothal lasts, about, to be betrothed, it lasts about a year. And during that year, the uh, man and the woman 
They were not to live together, and they were to restrain from sexual intercourse. In fact, the, the betrothal was such a legal agreement that if the engagement was broken, they would have to go through a formal divorce, and it was seen as a divorce. So it wasn't like today where you say, will you marry me? And then if you change your mind three months in, six months in, six years in of the engagement, right? So people been engaged like 15 years. And all of a sudden you change your mind, you just, it's, you just get out of it and it's no big deal. No, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. So during this betrothal period, they were expected to be sexually pure. In fact, if they were not, it was considered adultery. And if the, the leaders or elders of a community wanted to, those who were betrothed could have been put to death. So Matthew tells us that the birth of Jesus took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with the Holy Spirit to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So Joseph is in a great dilemma. The woman that he loves, the woman who is a God-fearer, is found to be with child, and the child is not his. And he knows that the child is not his because he's never slept with her. They've never had sexual uh, intimacy. And as we're looking at Matthew's account, we want to understand that Matthew's account focuses on the birth of Jesus and Jesus as a child from Joseph's perspective. Luke's Gospel focuses on the birth of Jesus from Mary's perspective. So we're getting Joseph's perspective here, and Joseph finds out that Mary is with child, and the Bible says that Joseph is a God-fearer. He loves Yahweh. He loves Yahweh not in his own strength, but because God gave him the strength to believe in Yahweh. And as a result, he is able to be obedient and to be filled with love. And he loved Mary so much. Mary was a, a beautiful woman. She was a, a wonderful young girl who loved Yahweh as well and who was empowered to be favored by Yahweh because she feared him. And he loved her so much that even though he finds out that she's with the child, before the Lord comes to him and says that this is a result of my doing, my miraculous doing, he loves her so much that he says, I'm going to put her away quietly. Now, in that culture and in that time and that day, if a woman was to have adultery or was to be with child and, and that child wasn't yours, the, the obvious thing to do would be to make a big deal out of it and to file for a public divorce. But Joseph loved her so much that he made up in his mind that he was not going to file for a public divorce, but rather he was going to keep it on the down low. And that's what he does. And that shows us a little bit about Joseph. The Bible says that he was a just man. The Bible says that Joseph was a, a God-fearer. And he was unwilling to shame her, which shows the deep love that he had for her. But there's something even more unique and, and important than, than those things. Joseph was in the genealogy or lineage of David. David was a part of Joseph's family. So as Matthew gives us this genealogy, he goes through 42 generations to show us how exactly Joseph is going to come to be in the lineage of David and how that is going to fulfill prophecy. And we want to look at this and say, back in Matthew's time, as they're reading this genealogy, most of them, because they were an oral culture, would have known this genealogy, and they would have been doing some fact-checking. Hey, let me see if you really got this together. So Matthew brings out Joseph, and he makes sure he lets us know that Joseph is the son of David. Today we want to look at two things from this text, two things that should lead us to deep worship and deep witness. Number one, the first thing we want to look at is the unique nature 
of Jesus' birth. The unique nature of Jesus and the unique nature of his birth. If we're going to get the most out of Christmas and not be distracted and disengaged and not have our Christmas crushed because we didn't get what we wanted and because we wasn't able to give Nuke Nuke and Bebe what they wanted, if Christmas is going to mean something to your children, it is because you believe what the Bible preaches and teaches about the birth of Jesus. And you stand at all at what God has done. The unique nature of Jesus. We want to marvel at the fact that God used the womb of a virgin to bring forth her son and his son. The Bible says that Jesus was born of a virgin. In chapter 18, he says, When Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit. It goes on. God goes on to tell Joseph that this child would not be his child, but this child is a result of his doing. In Luke chapter 1, verse 27, we read these words. As we look at the virgin birth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. In verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? That's, of course, after Gabriel came and said that she was with child. In verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born and he will be called Holy, the Son of God. So we want to look at this virgin birth and see that God did something that has never been done before in that he gave a woman a child as a result of the Holy Spirit overshadowing her and overpowering her. Now, some people look at this and they say, oh, we can't believe in the virgin birth because there's just something that the early church just made up. And I say, what sense does that make? If I'm trying to convert people to Christianity and, and turn people's attention to Jesus, I'm going to try to keep the story as simple as possible. I'm not going to try to convince someone that Jesus was born of a virgin. But Matthew records what actually happened, that Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit, that Joseph was not his biological father. And one of the reasons that the virgin birth was necessary was that it, was made, it made possible the uniting of the full deity of Jesus with his full humanity. God could have sent Jesus another way, but he didn't. And as we think about the other ways that God would have sent Jesus, if he had sent them that way, it would have made it very difficult for us to believe that Jesus was fully God and is fully God and yet is fully human. David Platt summarizes Wayne Grudel's masterful argument on the necessity of the birth of Jesus when he says the incarnation is the most profound mystery in the whole universe. This mystery is encapsulated in what Matthew writes about the virgin birth of Jesus. There are, after all, other ways Jesus could have come into the world. On the one hand, he could have come without any human parent, and then it would have been hard for us to imagine or believe that he could really identify with us. On the other hand, if he had come through two human parents, a biological mother and a biological father, then it would be hard to imagine how he could be fully God since his origin would have been exactly the same as ours. But God in his perfect wisdom and creative sovereignty ordained a virgin birth to be the avenue through which Jesus would come into the world. Jesus came into the world because God gave life to Mary's womb through the Holy Spirit. God is life-giving. The same God that hovered over creation's water, hovered within the womb of Mary and gave her Jesus. 
He's a creative God. And He is our Creator. Jesus, therefore, is fully God. When Jesus came into the world, He maintained His Godness. He wasn't any less God while He was being held by Mary. Jesus did not empty Himself of His divinity. We may be tempted to think that that's what He did. And some people read Philippians chapter 2, which was an early era of the early church, which says that Jesus emptied himself and became a human being. And they say, well, Jesus emptied himself of his divinity and he became a human. But that's not what the Bible teaches. No, he emptied himself in Philippians. In other words, he emptied any pride of maintaining his status in physique, so to speak, even though he was without a body, of God. He emptied himself of that right and he put himself in the limitations of human skin. He had ligaments and a unique DNA. He had hair that grew from hair follicles. As a child, he got owies. Jesus was fully human, but he did not empty himself of his divinity. And we see in the ministry of Jesus throughout the gospel of Matthew, his divinity. We see that Jesus is able to do things that no one before could do and that no one after could do. We see Jesus not just doing miracles as prophets had did it, but doing miracles and then pointing and showing how he is God. We see Jesus healing a man with a withered hand. And just by touching his hand and and speaking, that hand became whole. We see Jesus healing the blind. We see Jesus opening the ears of the deaf. We see Jesus preaching as one who had authority like no one had ever preached before. We see Jesus speaking to a raging sea and saying, peace, be still. We see Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. We see that Jesus knew things about people that they didn't know about themselves. We see that Jesus knew things about people that no one else should have known. We see Jesus knew the future. When others were blind to it, Jesus took a boy's lunch and turned it into a buffet. Why? Because Jesus is God. And even in his earthly ministry, he was fully God. Why? Because his father and the birthing process was done by the Holy Spirit and not by Joseph. And even as we look at this, and these, all these things seem impressive, perhaps the most impressive part of Jesus' nature and part of Jesus is that he never sinned. And I'm not just talking about physical sin. I'm not just talking about adultery. Jesus never looked at a woman with lustful intent. He never dehumanized her by looking at her in terms of shapes and figures. He never lied or thought about lying. Never told a white lie. You know, those white lies. He, he never told his father Joseph that he couldn't show up to work because he was sick and he really wasn't. Jesus is fully God, and yet, at the same time, Jesus is fully man. He's human. How do we know that? Well, we know that because Jesus was born from the matrix of a woman in the same way that every baby was. Jesus was limited to weakness of the human body. We see throughout Matthew's account that Jesus got thirsty and Jesus got hungry. According to Luke chapter 2, verse 52, Jesus increased in wisdom. He learned like regular children learn and grew in knowledge. In fact, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55 through 58, we see that Jesus was was so ordinary in his humanity that when he came back to minister to Nazareth, that they looked at him and said, wait a minute, aren't you Mary's boy, Joseph's son? Aren't you related to the carpenter? How is it that you're a prophet? 
For 30 some odd years, he lived in Nazareth and he embraced his humanity in such a way that when he ministered and did miracles, they couldn't believe that he was really God. Because he's fully human. As he is fully God. Jesus went to the bathroom. Jesus got sick. Jesus had family drama just like you and me. But how mind-boggling to know that as Jesus is fully God and fully man, as one commentator say, he was born a baby and yet he somehow sustained the entire universe. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 through 19 talks about his preeminence. It talks about here how he is holding all things together. And it talked about as a human being, how the full deity of the Godhead dwelled in him. Jesus was 30 years old, yet he was eternal. Jesus got tired, yet he was omnipotent. Jesus died, yet he conquered death. Jesus is in heaven right now on the right hand side of the Father, yet he is present with us. Deep theology leads to deep doxology. When we think deeply about the birth of Jesus, it should lead us to say, God, you are so wise and so smart and so amazing. I want to take Christmas off of me and off of my children and off of what culture wants me to focus on and I want to focus on you because only you can do this only you and your eternal wisdom and mind can say I can allow all these make all these prophecies come true without contradicting myself by doing something that you would have never thought of God is amazing and we want to remember why God is fully man Jesus was fully man and fully God. He did not have two separate natures. So he wasn't schizophrenic. It wasn't two people in one body. It was one unified nature that God allowed to come together as one. The virgin birth also helps us to understand how Adam's sin nature and guilt didn't affect Jesus. Jesus is not the son of Joseph, he is the son of God. Therefore, his birth signifies and shows us that that Jesus is not like you and me. The Bible says that when Adam sinned, all of humanity fell under the curse of sin and we we, we all have Adam's sin nature. We are bent towards sin. We are bent towards selfishness. We are bent towards wanting to glorify ourselves and make ourselves famous and we have guilt because of our sin. We try to deal with it, but Jesus was born without it. He was not of Joseph's. He was not of Joseph's child. Now some would say, yeah, but what about Mary? Because he Maybe the, the sin nature of Adam came through Mary. But the Bible doesn't teach that that was true. God protected Jesus from this sin nature. In fact, as we go to Luke chapter 1, verse 35, let me show you something that's quite amazing. We see this, the Bible says, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Jesus was holy from the very beginning. He was set apart and without sin from the womb. He's the only child, the Bible says, that was, is born and not shaped by his iniquity and sin. He was holy, protected from that sin nature. So what do we do? What do we do with this virgin birth? And why does it matter that Jesus was fully God and and fully man? How does that affect me on the ground? How does that affect me on Monday morning at work? And how does that affect me when I'm arguing with my spouse? How does that affect me when I'm lonely and wanting the comfort of someone else? How does that affect me when arthritis is, is tearing at my bones? How does that affect 
affect me when it feels like I'm losing strength and encouragement. It affects us by reminding us of this very important point. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. The writer of Hebrews helps us to see why it's so important that we see Jesus in his way. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is every respect, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Jesus is our intercessor. He is our mediator. First Timothy chapter two, verse five, for there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. Listen, the man, Christ Jesus. I love that. There's only one person who can reconcile us to God, the man, Christ Jesus. Because Jesus was fully human and fully divine, he is in a unique place in heaven. He in heaven is mediating. He is a part of this divine triune Godhead. And he is able to speak on our behalf to this triune Godhead. He knows what moves God the Father and God the, Son, the, God the Holy Spirit. These, these two persons. And, but he also knows our weakness because he was put in human flesh. And he knows our limitations and our temptations and our struggles. And he is in heaven on our right hand, on the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. So that when we come to the throne of grace, when we come in our weakness, when we come broken, he, the Bible says, sympathizes with us. And he gives us grace. He gives us sufficient grace. He gives us what we need in our time of weakness because he says, I've been there. I've done that. I know what it's like to have a family that thinks you're crazy. I know what it's like to pinch pennies as I was born in Nazareth, a a poor place. I know what it's like to be betrayed by friends and loved ones as Judas betrayed me. I know what it's like to pour out my heart to people and to have them reject me. I know what it's like to be misunderstood and to miscommunicate. I know what it's like. But at the same time, I'm your answer. Because I can give you what you need because I'm divine. And I've got a hookup. I've got a connection with some people that you want on your side. We see the unique nature of Jesus. Lastly, we see the unique ministry of Jesus. Verse 21. She will bear a son. So Joseph is in his dilemma. He goes to sleep. An angel of the Lord comes in Joseph's sleep, and he wakes up, and he believes God. Details aren't given exactly what the angel looked like or what he did, but he shook Joseph enough to say, boy, you're going to marry this girl. (laughs) And this is what the angel said in Joseph's dream. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. Jesus had a unique ministry as well as a unique nature, and why? Did Jesus come? Verse 21. Jesus came. Yahweh came. Uh, Jesus came in order to save his people. Let's not run, run by that. He came to save his people. I love the confidence of this angel in Jesus. He said he will save his people. He will. Not he's going to try. <laughs> Not he's going to work real hard to, but he will. How did he know he will? Because Jesus was, was, was there from the beginning in eternity. And Jesus is the reason that this angel exists and he beheld the, the glory of Jesus in heaven. 
So he knows what Jesus is like, and he knows when, when Jesus puts his mind to something, it's done. He said he will, and I'm so glad that he did. He said he will save his people. And this is a reminder that God has people, and they have set people apart for his glory from the very beginning. Jesus came with a very particular mission, and it was to save all of those who would put their faith and trust in Jesus. In him, a unique ministry to save people. The Bible teaches us that salvation is the work of God, not the work of man. The Bible teaches that we cannot save ourselves. We're not strong enough. We're not wise enough. We can't work hard enough. The only way that we are saved is through Jesus. Salvation comes as a gift from the Lord, and I'm praying today that you would recognize your need for Jesus to save you if you don't know him. And even as we think about the virgin birth, as Wayne Grudem says, the virgin birth of Christ is an unmistakable reminder that salvation never comes through human effort, but must be the work of God himself. Our salvation only comes about through the supernatural work of God, and that is evident at the very beginning of Jesus' life when God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption of sons. As sons. Salvation is the work of God. The way that one is saved is by recognizing that you can't save yourself, by throwing yourself at the feet of Jesus, by looking to his cross and saying, save me. I want to live for you, but I can't save me. I've been rebellious. Forgive me. Have mercy on me. Make me your child. Be Lord of my life. Be king of my life. Help me to stop making everything resolve around me and my selfish motives and and make everything revolve around you. Captivate my attention. Win my affection. Give me a new heart. Give me a new mind. Make me to love you. And when one looks to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, by faith through grace, one is saved. Just like Mary couldn't make, uh, Jesus couldn't have been Joseph's child without God working. Salvation cannot belong to you without God working. So I plead with you today, accept the unique ministry of Jesus. His ministry is to save those who are lost. If you're lost, be saved by looking to him. Repent of your sins. Turn and trust him. Jesus loves his people so much that he came to earth to get us. Jesus came to get us. No other religion, mythology, no, no, other, no other thought, no, no other story is like the story that God became a man. Does this resonate with you? Does this lead you into deep gratitude? Does understanding that Jesus' whole purpose in being born was to die for you, move you to want to live for him? He's the only person who was truly born to die. I was babysitting one of my close friend's sons, has three boys, and we were listening to a Christmas song called Born to Die. And the oldest son, who's around 11, said, Pastor Jamal, That doesn't make sense. I said, what do you mean that doesn't make sense? He said, Jesus was born to die. Aren't all of us born to die? I said, no, sir. All who are born will die. But our purpose for being born is not simply to die. Jesus came with a unique purpose of being. The climax of his life is his death on Calvary's cross. And that was for you and for me. So that you will be forgiven by God. One day, a father came to the hospital to visit his dying son. His eldest son laid lying on a hospital bed. 
on his deathbed. The father's talking to the son, and suddenly the brother walks in. The brother and the father hadn't spoken to each other in years because they were angry towards each other. The the son had went wayward, and he, he didn't want to be connected to the father. But on his deathbed, he reached out his hand to his father, and he reached out his hand to his son, and he connected their hands in order that they would be reconciled. And that's what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. The Bible says that there was beef between God and us because of our rebellion and because of our sin. But Jesus, on his deathbed, reached up and grabbed God's hand and reached down and grabbed the hands of those who would put his faith and trust in him, and he connected them. He's our mediator. That's his ministry. Verse 22, And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. The angel tells Joseph, this is what's going to happen. Jesus is going to be born. You're going to name him Jesus. He's going to save his people from their sins. Then Matthew goes on to say that all of this took place, and he's pointing back to Isaiah again, Isaiah 7. And he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 700 years ago, Isaiah wrote these words. And he wrote it during a time for God's people when they had went away from him. There's a wicked king by the name of Ahaz. And Ahaz in Isaiah chapter 7 finds himself in in a dilemma as he is at war against some of the other nations. And in fear, he runs to the Assyrians and he looks to make a pact with people who don't love God. Isaiah comes to King Ahaz and he tries to plead with King Ahaz to trust in the one true living God, but Ahaz ignored him. To which Isaiah comes back to Ahaz and he says, God loves his people and he finds delight in delivering them. And he says, this is how God's people will know that God is for them. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. 700 years later, we read in Matthew that a virgin conceives. And we read in the gospel accounts that one of his names besides Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And this is a wonderful reminder as we go into Christmas and we get ready to celebrate the true meaning of the season of two things. Number one, just that God is with us. What an amazing thing to know that God sent his son into the world to save sinners. God is with us. But number two, to remind ourselves that God is faithful to keep his word. He promised that that a sign would be given, that Emmanuel will be born, and he delivered on his promise 700 years later. And it's important that we remember as his people that he is faithful to his promise. He promises in scripture that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Christmas shall remind you that he will never leave you nor forsake you if you belong to him. He promises in his word that he will give you a peace that passes all understanding if you keep your mind centered on him. And this is a reminder that if you keep your mind centered on him and fight to allow Jesus to be the center of your universe, you don't have to worry about peace. Peace is not the absence of problems, but it's the presence of God in the midst of your problems. Christmas should remind us that he promises that in Revelation chapter 3 that he will open a door that no man can open and he can shut doors that no man can shut. Christmas should remind us that he is faithful. He is faithful to deliver us in our hour of temptation by giving us a way of escape. He promises. He promised that not only was he going to save us from our sins, but he promised that he's coming back again to save us from this fallen and decaying world. He promised. 
And God is not slack to fulfill his promise. But we've got to wait on him. So whatever you're going through, wait on him. He'll come through for you. For he is Emmanuel. Perhaps the most marvelous promise and longest prophecy is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It's after the fall when Adam and Eve sinned against God, God promised that from the seed of a woman that a child was going to be born that would crush the serpent's head. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible talks about how much when God spoke, how things happened. God spoke and things happened. God spoke and things were created. And then we read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that God speaks a word that there will be a child that will defeat Satan. In John chapter 1, John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh. That word that was spoken in Genesis chapter 3, 15, that a child will be born that would crush the head of a serpent became flesh. Jesus became flesh. And he reminds us that God keeps his promises. And he cares so much about his people that he stepped into Nazareth as a Nazarene. He ministered to the Jewish people by taking on the Jewish race. He looked like them in stature. He sounded like them in voice because he wanted them to know, I'm with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and I pray that this Christmas season that you would help us to refocus and recalibrate our souls away from these worldly things and remember the promise that you gave in Jesus and how much you loved us. Allow us to be led into worship as we remind ourselves of this virgin birth which actually happened. As we remind ourselves that you stepped into history. God became man in order to do something about our problems, in order to save us from ourself and our sin. May we remember this Christmas no matter what our economic situation, no matter what our family situation, no matter what our burdens, that you love us deeply and that you're willing to die for us. What a love that loves us literally to death. Father, I pray that you would allow us to be missional this week as we talk to our coworkers and our neighbors and they ask a simple question, what are you doing for Christmas? That we would honestly be able to say we are taking time to reflect upon the good news of Jesus and to teach our children about why God came into the earth. And oh yeah, we're going to share a few gifts. Let that be a reality in our homes as a result of us believing in you. In Jesus' name, amen.